scripture reading is Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 17. Genesis 2, 1 through 17. I think I preached here recently another sermon from Genesis. I'm doing a series currently in Edgerton, and this is the sermon that I preach here. Now I will preach in Edgerton in a couple hours. So Genesis 2, beginning at verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. These are the generations of the heavens and of the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens and every plant of the field before it was in the earth and every herb of the field before it grew, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth and there was not a man to till the ground, but there went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the, of the ground. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And the river went out of Eden to water the garden. And from thence it was parted and became into four heads. The name of the first is Pison, that is it which compasseth the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. There is Delium and the onyx stone. And the name of the second river is Gihon, the same is it that compasseth the whole land of Ethiopia. And the name of the third river is Hedekel, that is it which goeth toward the east of Assyria. And the fourth river is Euphrates. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. And so far do we read God's holy and inspired word. The text is verse 9 and then verses 16 and 17. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Adam and Eve were God's covenant friends in the garden. They were made in true knowledge, righteousness, 
and holiness. So they, they, they had God's image. Being made in God's image, they were God's friends. They had knowledge of God, meaning that they knew him personally as their friend. They had true holiness and righteousness and thus were united with God in their desire for his glory. So they enjoyed wonderful covenant life with God in the garden. Why did God put the tree of life in the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Note that those were real trees in the garden. Some today, even in Reformed churches, will say that this isn't real history and and some will say that these trees that are talked about in Genesis chapter 2, tree of life and the tree of knowledge, they weren't real historical trees. But Genesis 2 verse 9, which is the truth, speaks of them as, as being real trees. It says God put the tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the rest of Scripture certainly implies that these were real historical trees, for there are several passages that speak of Adam and Eve being tempted by the serpent in the garden. So th this is real based on Scripture, and we don't, we don't know exactly where each of these trees was in the garden, but they were really there. And in catechism, I've often been asked, why did God put the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden? Why did he do that? If he had not put the tree of the knowledge of good and evil there, Adam wouldn't have sinned. Would not that have been best? Well, that question will be answered tonight. And as it's answered, we'll be pointed to Christ. May we grow in our trust in him. And, and, and as we see God's wisdom in all this, may we give him great glory. That's why we're here. To worship our wise God and, and Savior. Let's consider the text under the theme, God's command concerning the trees. God's command concerning the trees. First, the two trees. Second, the antithetical command. And third, the significance. God's command concerning the the two trees. First, the two trees. God made the tree of life in the Garden of Eden. We'll get to the tree of knowledge in a little while. First, see, God made the tree of life. Some wrongly say that the tree of life had the power to give eternal heavenly life. They, they, they argue that the tree had power to continue to give Adam, earthly life, unending earthly life, but they say it was also able to give Adam eternal heavenly life. Scripture speaks of the glories of heaven where, where we will go when we die because of what Jesus Christ has done. It speaks of that glorious heaven. Well, some say that if Adam continued to eat of the tree of life, he would have eventually experienced that heavenly life. He would have experienced that eternal heavenly life with God. 
But there are problems with that view. There are problems with that view of the tree of life. First scripture never says that this tree would eventually give Adam eternal heavenly life. And second, scripture does indicate that the only way to the glories of heaven is through Jesus Christ. For instance, Philippians chapter 3 verse 21 teaches that only Christ can change us who are earthly into being fit for heavenly life with God. Philippians 3 verse 21 says, We look for the Savior who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. A physical tree like that tree of life cannot accomplish a spiritual change to earthly creatures so that we're made fit for heavenly life with God. Only Christ can do that. And wonderfully, he does do that for us as people. Praise the Savior. But if the tree of life did not give Adam eternal heavenly life, what is the importance of this tree then? Consider three things. First, the tree of life and its fruit did have the power to give Adam and Eve unending earthly life. It had the power to give them unending earthly life. Genesis 3, verses 22 through 24 indicate that. This passage shows that after Adam and Eve sinned, they had to be barred from going back into the Garden of Eden because if they went back in there, they could eat of the tree of life. They'd continue to, to, to live on this earth forever. Genesis 2, verse 22, excuse me, 3, verse 22 says, The Lord, the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become as one of us, to know good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. Now certainly there was no death before Adam sinned. But this does not mean that Adam could never die. Man was mortal as one who was made from the dust of the earth. But continuing to eat of the tree of life, Adam and Eve would continue to live on this earth. The other trees, they also gave physical energy to Adam. But the tree of life was distinct in the fact that continuing to eat of that tree, they would have life on this earth. They would not die. Second, regarding the significant or regarding this important tree of life, this tree of life also symbolized God's care for them. God had made this tree, and he caused this tree to produce fruit. And Adam knew that. This tree was representative of the truth that God cared here for him. God was his 
Adam's good provider. And last, this tree of life was a symbol of covenant life with God. A symbol of covenant life with God. God told Adam to eat of it and he would live. Well, when Adam went to eat of that tree, he was enjoying life with the Lord. When he went there, he was looking to God to provide for him, to give him what he needed. He was living in obedience to God. He was obeying God and there eating of that tree. Adam enjoyed closeness with the Lord. So it was a symbol of covenant life with God. That's the tree of life. There's also the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden. That tree of knowledge of good and evil, that tree did not have anything wrong with it of itself. Genesis 1 verse 31, God saw, we read, God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And that included this tree of knowledge of good and evil. It was a good tree and it was good because it was a creature of God. The good Lord made it. The good Lord caused it to produce fruit. This tree wasn't ugly. This tree was not poisonous. It was a perfectly good fruit tree. As verse 9 indicates, verse 9 says that this tree was pleasant to the sight and good for food. The difference between this tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, the difference between that tree and the other trees was that God said Adam and Eve may not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. May not do it. Why was it called that though? Why was it called the tree of knowledge of good and evil? It was not the case that by eating the fruit of this tree, Adam and Eve would come to know what was good and what was evil. Some teach that's true. But realize Adam and Eve already knew what was good and what was evil before they ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. They knew that it was good or pleasing to God to eat of the tree of life. And they knew that it was good and pleasing to God not to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. They knew it was bad to do that. It was wrong. It was evil. It was wicked. According to Genesis 2, verse 17, God commanded them not to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil before they did it. So they knew the good. They knew it was evil before they ever ate of the tree. What is then the idea of that name? tree of knowledge of good and evil. Well, here, knowledge has the idea of acquaintance. So through the, through the tree of knowledge of good and evil, that is, its presence, Adam and Eve became acquainted with good and evil. Through that tree, its presence, they knew that it was good to obey God. They knew it was evil not to obey Him. So long as they did not eat, too, they knew good and evil rightly. 
They hated the evil and loved the good. They knew good and evil as taught by God. If they ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, though, they would not know good and evil rightly. They would then hate the good and love the evil. They would follow their own determination, really, of good and evil and always do what was evil in God's eyes, never giving him glory. That's what happened if they would eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. That's the truth about the tree. By its very presence, Adam and Eve became acquainted with good and evil. God gave Adam and Eve an antithetical command regarding the tree. An antithetical command. He demanded that they eat of the tree of life and that they reject the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Verses 16 and 17 give that clear command. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. This is an antithetical command. And what that means is that Adam was commanded not only to do the right, but also commanded to reject the wrong. He was to eat the tree of life, and he was to reject the tree of knowledge of good and evil. That was an antithetical command. Do the good, reject the wrong. And Adam was given that calling, that command, as God's covenant friend. He was given that command as God's covenant friend, and he was to give glory to God by obeying. God created Adam, remember, so that Adam was God's covenant friend. God made Adam so that he had true knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. He knew God personally as his friend. Genesis 3 verse 8 even implies that God walked with Adam in the garden in the cool of the day. Adam was God's friend. And Adam would give great glory to God, his friend, by doing what God says is good and by rejecting what God says is bad. That's how God determined that he will be loved and that how he will be glorified. And it's in that way of man rejecting what he says is bad and doing what he says is good. One who not only chooses for the right, but also chooses against the wrong, that one shows himself to be in line with what God says. And that greatly glorifies God. One who does the, does the right and rejects the wrong, he's showing he's right in line with what God, right in line with God. He, he loves what God says is right. He hates what God says is wrong. Loving the right and hating the wrong shows great love for him greatly glorifies him. And we can understand that even from uh, in our own friendships here on this earth. 
when we have a close friend, that friend especially shows that they love us and they're, and they're close to us when they stand with us for what we stand for. And they show that they're especially close to us when they reject what we reject. They stand for what we stand for. They reject what we reject. Well, that, that's how God determined his friendship with Adam was to be. And how Adam was especially to glorify him. That Adam would not only do what he said, but also would reject what he said was bad. So God put those two trees there that Adam might obey that antithetical command to his glory. And when the devil came and, and said to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, man was confronted even more clearly with this antithetical command. Man was to say, when that man was to say yes to God and no to the devil and sin. That yes and no would show great love and would greatly glorify God. So that's the idea of the antithetical command. Now, God said that if Adam ate of the tree of knowledge, if he disobeyed that antithetical command, he would die. But as he obeyed, Adam would enjoy life with God in the garden. Understand, in regard to this command, Adam could fall. He could disobey God and fall. Adam was good. He wasn't neutral at birth, being neither good nor evil. No, he was made in true knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. He was able not to sin. He was good, but he could fall. He could sin. He could say no to God and yes to sin. If Adam disobeyed God's antithetical command, he would die. Verse 17 says, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. That he would die means a few things. First, that Adam would die when he ate of the tree of knowledge means that he would die physically. That does not mean that his body would be separated from his soul as soon as he ate of that forbidden fruit. However, it does mean that when he ate of that forbidden fruit, he would become subject to physical death. From that point forward, he would grow older and older every day, and aches and pains would grow. The grave would always be pulling him closer until that day came that his body would be separated from his soul and he would die physically. Second, that Adam would die means that he would die spiritually. As soon as he ate of the tree of knowledge, <clears throat> he would not no longer live with God as his friend. He would lose the image of God and he would be in the image of the devil instead. He would not have true knowledge, righteousness, and holiness he would be dead spiritually. He wouldn't be able to move towards God in obedience to be dead. 
All he would want to do is sin, and all he could do is sin by nature. If not graciously delivered, Adam would remain spiritually dead. But there's also one more sense in which he would die. He would also die everlastingly in hell. He would never have spiritual life with God. When he physically died, he'd go to hell where he would suffer torment under God's wrath forever there. Romans 6 verse 23 says that the wages of sin is death, and that includes eternal death in hell. So think of that. Adam would die if he disobeyed. But as he obeyed, as he obeyed, he would enjoy life with God in the garden. This wasn't a covenant of works, though, as many today say that it was. That's not how things were in the garden. It wasn't a covenant of works. Let's understand that covenant of works. Many in Reformed circles today say that's how it was. This was a covenant of works. And by that term, most mean that the covenant between Adam and God was an agreement the agreement was this, if Adam obeyed, Adam obeyed for a certain period, he would be given eternal, heavenly life with God. But if he disobeyed, he would die. Adam had life with God in the garden already, that's clear. But he would have gained better life with God if he had obeyed for that certain period of time. He would have been given the higher state of heavenly life eventually. So the idea of the term covenant of works is that Adam would earn heavenly life with God by obeying that antithetical command he was given. Now we reject that idea of the covenant of works. And there are a few reasons for that. First, we reject it because Scripture never speaks of it. Scripture never speaks of God making an agreement with Adam that if he continued to obey... For a certain period of time, he would earn that higher heavenly life with him. Scripture never speaks of that. Also, we deny the covenant of works because Luke 17 verse 10 says that even if one perfectly obeys God, he does not earn anything. He's only doing what is required of him. Covenant of works says that Adam could earn something. That goes against Luke 17 Verse 10. And last, we object to the covenant of works because Scripture teaches that eternal life in heaven is something that can only be gained through Christ. Only He, again, as we heard before, only He can make us who are earthly fit for that heavenly life with God. So Adam would not earn heavenly life with God by obeying. But the truth is that as Adam obeyed that antithetical command, as he obeyed it, he would enjoy life with God, covenant life with him, in the garden. He would only go to the tree of life in obedience and reject that tree of the knowledge of good and evil as one who first trusted in God to provide for him. So think of that, trusting in God to provide for him and that his way, that God's way is best, Adam would go to that tree of life. He would reject that tree of knowledge. 
And as he did so, he would be living close with the Lord. He would be living with the Lord as he stood right in line with him for the good, against the wrong. Adam would continue to enjoy this close friendship with God in the garden as he continued to obey out of, out of that faith he had in God, trusting in him to provide. Now God gives us his covenant friends today antithetical commands. And as we walk in thankful obedience out of faith, we too enjoy covenant life with him. We are God's covenant friends today based entirely upon Jesus Christ's work. We are his friends. Adam, Adam sinned in the garden. We know that. He ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and there were consequences for that. He died. He became subject to death physically, and he also died spiritually so that he became ruled by sin. He no longer had God's image, true knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. He was no longer God's friend, and he would never be if he wasn't delivered. Now, when Adam sinned, all men sinned. And there are great consequences then for, for all men. Romans 5 verse 12 shows that this is true. Romans 5 verse 12 says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Because all sinned in Adam, as Romans 5 verse 12 says, we all became subject to death. And also we are dead spiritually and do not have God's image by, by nature. We're not God's friends, but we are under his wrath. And if we are not delivered, we will go at, at physical death to eternal death in hell. So think of that for yourself. May that just not be a truth that's out there, but that's true for us. That's where we would go if not delivered. That's who we would be now if not delivered. Lost in sin, in the image of the devil, and not God's friends. But God sent Christ. God has restored us to his friendship based on the work of Christ. God sent Christ to pay for all the sins of his people. Think of Christ his whole life long. He always said yes to God and no to sin, perfectly glorifying God. How many times he faced that? But every time he said yes to God, no to sin. He did that all the way to the cross where he paid for all the sins of us, his people. And by paying for our sins, Christ gained the right to renew his people in God's image. And that's what he's done in us. Think of this. Apart from Christ's work on the cross, we would all be guilty sinners before God. And guilty sinners in God's sight have, they have to remain in the devil's image. They have no right to have Christ living and working in them. They have to be stuck in the prison to sin and death forever. 
But Jesus went to the cross. He paid for all the sins of God's people so that they're gone from God's sight. And we now have the right then to have Christ living in us and working us and renewing us in God's image. Based on what Christ would do, God renewed his Old Testament people in his image so that they served him. And based on what Christ has done, God renews us in his image today. And we have true knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. We have a sinful nature still, and we do sin. We know that, but sin no longer rules us. Christ does. Based on Christ's work, God has renewed us in his image, and we are God's friends. We know him personally as our friend. We have holiness and righteousness and and seek his glory. And even now in this worship service, now he speaks to us as our friend, speaking to us of Christ. And we speak back to him in prayer and song and in our offerings. We have covenant life with God based on Christ's work at the cross. And one day, instead of going to eternal death and hell like we deserve, when we die, it's a passageway to heaven. We go to live with our God and enjoy perfect friendship with him there forever. So we are God's friends and God gives us his covenant friends today, antithetical commands to obey. He gives us antithetical commands so that we must say no to sin and yes to God, glorifying him in that way. Think of each of the Ten Commandments. God forbids something in each command, and he requires something. The first commandment, for instance, thou shalt have no other gods before me. God forbids idolatry. He says, say no to that sin. And he requires that we worship him alone. He says, say no to sin, say yes to me, worshiping me alone. Then there's the fifth commandment, honor thy father and thy mother. There's a negative side to it. Don't dishonor your parents. Instead, honor them. So say no to sin. Say yes to God. There's the eighth commandment. Say no to stealing. Say yes to God using our gifts. Instead of stealing, use our gifts to serve the neighbor. Why does God give us antithetical commands? He has determined that's the way in which his friends especially show great love and glorify him. He's praised when his friends reject the wrong and do the right. And that way, his friends show they're they're with him, they're on his side. They're against the wrong, they're for the right. So apply that to your life. Kids, apply that to your life, even young kids here today. You are God's friends, too, because of Christ. And God says to you, his friends, that you're to say no to sin and yes to him. So say no to disobedience to your parents. That's sin. Say no to that. And say yes to obedience to them. Showing honor to them and respect. Do that this week. That glorifies God. And young people, young people, God... God says to to you, 
don't be self-centered. Don't just be thinking about yourself, but love the neighbor. Say no to that self-centeredness and say yes to loving the neighbor. So you seek to help others at school when you, you can. It's not all about you. But you do what you can to include others and help them. That glorifies God. And may we all think today, all of us, think today of the sin that we especially struggle with, whether that be anger or sexual sin or, or something else. Think of the sin you struggle with and what God commands us to do positively. And this week, go forward saying no to that sin in the world and yes to God and His ways. We enjoy life with God as we serve Him in thankfulness. We enjoy life with God in that way. One does not enjoy friendship with God as He walks, though, in unrepentant sin. May that be very clear. Scripture shows that. Think of David after he sinned with Bathsheba and went on for a year without confessing that sin. In Psalm 32, verses 3 and 4, David speaks of his misery during that time. He says God's hand was heavy upon him. and His bones waxed old. and He roared all the day long. He felt far from God. One does not enjoy covenant friendship with God as he walks in unrepentant sin. That's the way of death. And those who continue in unrepentance, they never were God's friends. Those who go on and on in sin and do not repent, they never were God's friends and they do perish forever. God's friends enjoy covenant life with him as they serve him in gratitude. That does not mean that they earn that, that, that covenant life with God, for Christ has earned that for us. The truth is that Christ, our Redeemer, gives to us faith so that we know Him. And knowing Christ, our Redeemer, we walk in thankfulness by Christ's power, saying no to sin, yes to God. And as you're thinking upon Christ and serving Him in gratitude, you are enjoying closeness with the Lord. One day in heaven we will enjoy this life with God perfectly. Praise and thank God today. Praise and thank the Savior. Say no to sin. Think of those sins that cleave to you. Say no to sin and yes to God, to His glory. Now, last place, in the last place, it was significant that God put these two trees in the garden and that he gave an antithetical command concerning them. It was significant. God put those trees there and gave this command for a purpose. And ultimately, the purpose is for the glory of himself and Christ. Purpose is ultimately for the glory of himself in Christ. It was not an accident when Adam ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
Some argue that God's original plan was for Adam to live in the garden, and that plan changed when Adam sinned. So there was a, a bumper sticker that was quite popular when I was at Kelvin College, and that bumper sticker said, God's original plan was to hang out in a garden with vegetarians. Maybe you've heard of that before. And the implication of that bumper sticker was that God's plan had to change after Adam sinned. But that is absolutely not true according to Scripture. It's false. God planned everything before the world began, including even the death of his son, Jesus Christ. Acts 2 verse 23 says, this is Acts 2 verse 23, him, and that's Christ, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. So God planned that every event would occur exactly as it did before the world was even made. The fall was not an accident. Also, what happened in the garden with these trees and Adam eating of the tree of knowledge, it doesn't show that sin is God's fault. Some might say, or at least imply that it is, they might say God shouldn't have made the tree of knowledge of good and evil. By doing so, God enticed Adam to sin. But saying that's false, it's false because God's holy. He He does not sin. He cannot sin. And saying that he enticed Adam to sin is false too. He does not tempt, according to James chapter 1, verse 13. Does not tempt anyone to sin. God is perfectly holy. God put those trees there, both of them, tree of knowledge and the tree of life, that he might glorify his own name in Christ. That's why he did it. The fall of of man opened the way for Christ. Because Adam fell, who did we need, kids? You know the answer to that. Because Adam fell, we needed Christ to come and save us from our sins. We needed Christ, and he came. He always said yes to God and no to sin all his life long and paid for all our sins at the cross. Through Christ, we can and we do live with God. So God put those trees there that he might be glorified as our Savior in Christ. Think of that. That's what's even happening right now. Stand in awe of the wisdom of God in that. He planned that this would happen long ago. He planned that this fall would occur so that even now tonight or this afternoon, we might be thinking upon What an amazing Savior he is, that he saved me in Jesus Christ. He planned all that happened, that we would sit here now and glorify his name in song and in prayer for his great work of salvation. He's a very wise God. He is deserving of all the glory. God put these two trees in the garden and gave the command he did for the glory of himself in Christ. And so that we might be brought to great glory in heaven. He did this also so that we might be brought to great glory in heaven. 
God planned that Adam would sin so that his people would be saved by Christ and be brought to heaven through Christ's work. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. Ephesians 1, 9 through 11. We read, Having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance. So he planned that in Christ we would be brought to a higher glory than what Adam enjoyed and, and a higher freedom than what Adam had. We will be brought to heaven, the place of perfection, because of Jesus. And we will have a higher freedom there than what Adam had in the garden. Remember that Adam was able not to sin. But he could sin. Now think about heaven. In heaven, we will not be able to sin. Even higher freedom. God planned that all this would happen, that put those trees there and planned that this fall would happen so that we might even be brought to that wonderful, perfect freedom in heaven through Christ. And we'll be there forever. Think of that too. Adam and Eve, they, they enjoyed paradise for a time. We will live in heaven forever forever and ever. It will never, never end. It will never get old. Perfection going on and on and on. And God planned all that, all of those wonderful things for us who are so undeserving of it. Us who are such small creatures. It, it, it strikes one when you read Genesis 1 and, and 2 of how God is, is way above us. Even in verse 9, we, we read about him making all the plants. And you think about the beautiful colors of the trees that you see around us today. And God made the trees. And he made all the, all the beautiful flowers. And he's the one who created, according to Genesis 1, the sun, moon, and stars, the billions of stars we can never make. He's so far above us. And yet he planned... Yet he planned to give to us such wonderful gifts in Jesus Christ. He planned to save us in Christ so that we might enjoy life with him now. And at physical death, enter the glories of heavenly life with him forever. And he not only planned that for us who are so small, but he planned that all those wonderful things for us who, who also have sinned against him. Praise God when you think upon that and his, his grace and his mercy to you. Give him glory this week by living that antithetical life and, and saying no to the wrong and, and yes to the right. May we and our children do that to the praise of our, our God. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father which art in heaven, Lord, we stand in awe of who thou art. 
Thou art the God who's so far above us, yet thou, O Lord, hast put those trees in the garden and gave the command that thou didst give so that we might be brought to great glory in heaven through Christ. That's amazing. Lord, in thankful response this week, may we be strengthened to live the antithetical life. Lord, strengthen us and our children. May we truly give thee thanks and praise. In Jesus' name alone we pray. Amen.